Conversations podcast. This episode is made up of four parts. This is part four of four. Okay, this next question comes from New South Wales uh, from a certified translator, uh, Chinese language. As now, many organizations accept digital copies of certified translation documents. I find that some migration agencies are illegally using NATI's translator stamps. Once an agency has received some documents translated by a translator, they would know what the stamp looks like and can keep a copy of it. With lots of document editing software available, it's very easy for an agency to steal a NATI translator stamp and paste it on whatever documents they want and then send the fake stamp documents to relevant parties. During the whole process, the translator and the document receiver do not know the truth. I have seen many migration agents advertising on their website saying free NATI stamp to put on your documents if required. How does NATI prevent these kind of things from happening? How can the translation document receivers know if the stamps on the documents are real or not? How can translators themselves know if their stamps have been misused or not? I mean, this is a pretty serious allegation. We're talking about fraud here, which I think is uh, a federal offence, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's, what's happening here? What, or, you know, what could happen? Uh, the first part I'd probably comment is it's not that dissimilar to the work health safety question that we had before. I appreciate different domains, but NATI has limitations in what we can and can't do. Uh, and in this scenario, uh, exactly as you've said, this is identity fraud and the appropriate mechanism to report it is by the police. Mm-hmm. So where NATI's involvement comes in is we would support any action obviously by a practitioner that's found that their um that their stamp is being misused and uh you know a verification tool on our website in that scenario wouldn't work because it would just verify that the person was done so a couple of parts in the in the question first one is we're absolutely concerned about this issue but we don't have a direct ability to influence it um uh, ability to help is limited to you know if a a practitioner finds that they've been um, the, the subject of identity theft in that scenario is to go to the police, lodge a report, and any assistance we can give with that police investigation, we will absolutely help with. Uh, for examples like the migration agents that are offering free NARDI stamps, those can be informed to NARDI um, and we can try and chase them up. But I would comment again that it's it's an illegal practice uh, and that could be reported direct to police as well. So, yeah, I, I don't really... Uh, yeah, I'm very conscious of the fact that it feels like with the work health safety one and this one that we just go, oh, sorry, we can't help. It's just we have limitations. We, we don't have legislative powers over inve- mm-hmm. investigating mm-hmm. and charging a migration agent in that scenario. Um, it's jurisdiction, but, isn't it? I mean, you don't yeah. have the powers to do anything about this. The police does, so exactly. they need to know about this. Yeah, so we would absolutely encourage um, those practitioners, if they hear something that sounds wrong or they see another practitioner's stamp um, that they think might have been used, uh, contact that practitioner uh, via the 
the contact details through the website uh, and say, hey, I noticed your stamp on 700 migration agent forms. Was it you? Because if it's not, I think we might have a problem and, mm. you know, use a bit of that professional solidarity to, to help each other out and, and combat what is a, an illegal act by um, unscrupulous business in that case. Uh, so if any practitioner uh, thinks uh, something like this is happening or knows something like this is happening, uh, they need to let the authorities know as soon as possible and NATI will support them in any way they can if required. Absolutely. And if, look, if they don't know who the authority is, feel free to contact us as well and we can, we can assist there as well. But. All right. Very good. Thank you very much. Um, again, I don't think this next question uh, is something that you actually have mm. influence over. Um, but I'll ask it. Uh, New South Wales, Filipino certified provisional interpreter. Why is there no standard hourly rate for interpreters? Every agency pays different, and when is travel allowance payable? How is the distance calculated? Is the reference point from the city or distance from the interpreter's home? Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, and yes, uh, just like for the previous questions, um, you know, like uh, Nati can't directly uh, act on it, uh, but we certainly uh, acknowledge that the pay rates for interpreters and translators uh, should be higher and could be higher. Um, and Nati is working uh, a lot with OSIT, ASLIA, Professional Australia um, to advocate for that and to explain uh, what the how that. Translators and interpreters are professionals. Mm -hmm. It's a skilled profession. And so we are bringing our support there uh, to help them uh, uh, in advocating and getting those better rights for practitioners. But this is not something we can influence directly, I'd say, uh, but we are certainly supporting. Thank you very much. Um, okay. Uh, next one's a bit long as well. So bear with me. <laughs> Uh, this practitioner is from Victoria, Vietnamese language, and is a certified interpreter. An interpreting agency is allegedly letting all of their contractor interpreters of all levels of certification access and accept the available interpreting jobs at the same time, causing an unfair allocation of jobs. Despite they always deny that and claim that interpreters with the highest level of certification get priority. The fact is, all certified interpreters working for this agency are currently getting much fewer jobs than their provisional certified colleagues. This could be seen simply as their way of business running, but it undermines what Nati is always promoting, which is every interpreter should aim to further their skills and obtain the next level of certification. This agency is prioritizing provisional certified interpreters over certified interpreters thus disencouraging provisional certified interpreters from improving themselves. What is Nati's view on this? Um, probably unsurprisingly, our view is dim on it. <laughs> um, clearly, we believe that the most experienced uh, interpreters, depending on job, uh, you know, there might be some resourcing considerations by the business in question, but it doesn't sound like that from the question. The most... Um, highly skilled person should be getting the work because they have just demonstrated a commitment. Uh, saying that, like the other questions, we don't have 
direct jurisdiction or ability to influence the, the hiring and recruitment and scheduling practices of individual businesses. I would comment that um, for this particular agency that's being referenced, potentially um, Professionals Australia in being the union uh, mm. that covers translators and interpreters may be an effective means. I was going to say, who, who can they go to about this? Yeah, I, I would comment that as an – and this is why unions exist, isn't it? Because as an individual um, arguing up the chain, uh, it would be A, intimidating and B, potentially unlikely to achieve much apart from getting management of that company offside. Uh, but I really do think in that scenario, as long as uh, allegations can be um, proven, proven. Yeah. yeah, I, I wouldn't want to go into a um, – and I don't want to give legal advice here, but I wouldn't want to go into a conversation like that without hard evidence that I mean, these practices were taking place. The person is saying allegedly letting. Yeah. So, you know. so yeah, I would comment that um, it's either uh, Professionals Australia as a union um, for translators and interpreters being able to advocate on behalf uh, towards that organisation or potentially it's a group of more senior staff there that take their concerns to management about uh, the allegations and seek an explanation. Mm -hmm. So we are certainly concerned of um, reports like that. We can influence again behind the scenes and we like to think that some of the agreements that have been made in previous years, particularly with, say, um, the way that the Judicial Council on Cultural Diversity have come up with guidelines on how to engage interpreters, how to select levels, uh, and the process that they go through, all the Victorian government's um, codified pay rates into their procurement guidelines, mm -hmm. where NATI has worked to help achieve those goals. We like to think that they become employers of choice, which then drag less desirable employers to a higher standard because they know this is now the accepted um, pay rate and conditions that mm -hmm. professionals uh, operate under. So, yeah, I, I appreciate it's not a really direct answer to that question um, because we can't, but definitely in that very specific scenario, Professionals of Australia or senior group of um, practitioners working within that agency, I think, might be able to affect some change. Okay, well, thank you very much for your honest answer on that one. Okay, so almost there. Our last question comes from New South Wales, who is an Arabic and French certified interpreter. Okay. In the current environment, most agencies have shifted to telephone interpreting services, thus fewer hours face-to-face. -face. So how could interpreters fulfil the criteria of 200 hours if jobs are scarce, should NATI reduce the criteria considering work practices have changed? Yeah, um, I, I can probably answer that again. Um, so uh, going back to a couple of previous questions as well, we have reduced the recertification requirements um, as part of uh, our COVID response. So the, the number of 200 hours isn't correct. It was 120 prior to COVID. Yep. Um, and it's been reduced by a third for anyone with 2020 in their recertification period. Mm -hmm. uh, it's 80, um, 80 hours or um, 20,000 words in translators. Uh, on the overall um, comment that work practices have changed, 
I still believe that uh, professional development and work practice requirements are appropriate when broken down even at the full level, let's use 120 assignments or hours for an interpreter over the three-year period, it's still less than one hour a week. Mm. And I think it's important to point out that um, uh, it's 120 assignments as well. So, you know, every telephone interpreting job is actual an assignment too. Because I think before it was, um, you know, almost like every four interpreting jobs became one assignment because of, they were booked in 15 minutes uh, blocks. Um, but, uh, you know, it's important to, I think, point out, we've said it a couple of times already, that's 120 or, or uh, for, the, for everyone who's uh, got 2020 in their recertification period, it's 80 hours or 80 assignments, correct? Correct. So, uh, whichever one is, uh, uh, whichever one applies to you, I guess. What about if you've got a full day court job, you know, is that one assignment or is that eight hours? It would hours? count that as hours. Yep, so eight hours because uh, it's a full day. Um, but if it's a 15-minute phone job, it's one assignment. One assignment. Okay, well, it's, it's great. Um, so it actually probably is much easier than before. Yeah, I would probably um, compare to previous. Uh, and again, when, when looked at, even in the hour thing, it's less than an hour a week. Um, for to maintain um, maintain currency of skill for a profession, mm. and this sort of goes back to some of the previous questions, which is the certification system and recertification has been designed so we can hand on heart go to government agencies and businesses and go translators and interpreters that are certified by us meet stringent requirements for um, work practice and professional development no different than any other professional in the country. So you can't keep, you know, there is lots of horror stories out there of people just going, you know, it's not really a profession, it's not as highly skilled as some of the others, so we can underpay it. You know, Oh, we'll just use a family member, it's okay. It's all fine, yeah. So, you know, part of the recertification, although it can sometimes seem onerous, is to really put out there that this is a profession with really strong guidelines and ethics uh, and needs to be treated as such. Uh, and then further to that, I would comment that we appreciate that in some languages, 80 hours in this current cycle or 120 regular may not be possible. And through other factors such as maternity leave or illness, those, um, those hours might not be uh, achievable either. And Nadi is flexible on that, we're understanding. So um, solely because we mentioned it before as the largest spoken language in Australia, Mandarin is likely to get lots of work with 660,000 people in the last census that said they spoke it as a primary language at home, where the last recognised practising credential that we gave out for Haitian Creole is likely to have less opportunities to get work practice and we would look at them on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, so even though it is uh, one standard set of rules, uh, you can take it as uh, case-by-case as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, In this case, uh, this interpreter has Arabic and French um, certifications. Uh, There should be plenty of work uh, for this person, would you say? Uh, Yeah, on the surface of it, 
um, Arabic and French, we would expect a reasonable number of, um, of work hours to be available. However, their personal circumstance might exactly. be that they live in a regional location like Broome, domestic travel has pretty much dried up and the um, interpreting assignments are face-to-face in Perth. In that scenario, we would say we understand that there is extenuating circumstances that mean that the, the regular requirements shouldn't apply in that case. That's what I wanted to bring it down to. Although uh, in some languages the work is not there and in some languages the work is there, but um, for whatever reason, for some circumstances, or it could be personal reasons as well, um, like we're saying maternity leave or you might be living in a rural area and um, you know you might not have access to so much work, you will address that on a case-by-case uh, approach. Yeah, absolutely. I, I Just the other day, we gave discretion for someone, um, Nadi certified, certified in Australia, uh, clearly certified in Australia, but was living here, went overseas, and then the pandemic shut the borders, hasn't been able to return. So mm. their last year has been unable to get work in Australia because they've not been here at all. So in that scenario, it's clear that they could have worked if they um, uh, had the opportunity to, but due to the circumstances. Yep. So that recertification was uh, three years. In the case of something like maternity leave, we can add a year on, for example, to compensate for that time out of the workforce. Very good. So just uh, email Nati and um, uh, they will be addressed on a case-by-case approach. Yep, All right. Um, thank you so much. Orly and Michael for joining me today and answering so many questions that have been uh, asked over the last uh, few months now since our last episode. Okay. Um, Next time uh, we will be doing this in about three months' time again. We said we'll do this quarterly now um, so that, you know, we get enough questions to put you under the pump. Uh, Thank you very much indeed. Uh, for joining us today and answering these questions. I really appreciate it. Even the ones that, um, you know, had uh, not much to do with Nati, you did your best to uh, answer those and, you know, give some guidance as well. Thank you so much, Michael and Ori. Thank you for having us. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. All Graduates Conversations Podcast.